The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined, as always, by my co-host in the city of brotherly love. He wants to fire Gabe Kapler. He is Chris Smalls Angelos. Smalls, how you doing today? Listen, I do not want to fire Gabe Kapler. I'm on the other side of that argument. You know that, but you wanted to, you know, tweak me, get me a little juiced up for this intro. So now you got me. Uh, I'm ready for the birds to start. I'm ready for football season. I like August, but start to smell the leaves, baby. The fall weather starts to come and play. I'm ready to go. So that's how I'm doing. I just want to throw you under the bus for one second before we get into our guest. We have Marcus Kahn. Uh, head coach of the Mary Washington Eagles, former uh, national title appearing coach, former D3 coach of the year at Cabrini. Super good interview. But before we get to Marcus, I do want to throw you under the bus, Smalls, because you did text me last week and tell me that it was a rough week for you. And one of the reasons that it was a rough week was because the Phillies were on a West Coast swing. So you were, I, I took that as like, you had to stay up and watch them. So you were tired throughout the week because the Phillies weren't ending until after midnight. Yeah, I, I tried I tried to stay up. It depended on the game. Like, if if they were just – you could tell how bad they looked, and for most of the time they did. Um, that was tough. And then they had a game on YouTube, which was ridiculous. It was Aaron Nola versus Bumgarner, but it was on YouTube. So that really, you know, stuck in my crawl. Um, yeah, it was a tough week. I mean, you got to push through. You got you to gotta do the late nights, the late hours, uh, just to make sure you wake up and – you know all the news of the Philly. You talk sense about the game because I'm tired of hearing these people on the radio who don't even watch the games, uh, you know, complaining. They don't know what's going on. They got Angelo Cataldi going crazy. I'm done. I'm done. Philly Sports Radio, I want to punch them all in the face. So that's, you know, whatever. You want to do that until week one of the NFL season. If Carson Wentz looks good, you'll have, 90, you'll have WIP or 97.5. You'll have those on blasting from the speakers, windows. I'll turn them up. Yeah, it's for not sure. What we're, it's not what we're talking Positive about. Positive guy. <laughs> All right. Well, this week, Marcus Kahn, like I said, head coach of Mary Washington, a guy with some Philly ties, ton of success at Cabrini, won 85% of his games there. Super interesting guy to talk to, though, because, you know, reached essentially the highest of the high. Didn't quite, didn't win the national championship, but appeared in the national title, uh, another Final Four experience, and then decides to, you know, leave Cabrini and go to Mary Washington and, and undertake a kind of a new challenge. And I think it's always interesting to talk to guys like that. Like, how do you walk away from a, a program that you essentially built and, and built into this sort of juggernaut in the ECAC and then decide to take another job, Smalls? And I thought it was really interesting to hear that perspective. Yeah, I think interesting to hear a guy who, you, you mentioned it earlier, I mean, get to the national title game only – you know, few coaches can really say that. And his success at Cabrini was at a time where we were in college and, uh, you know, we were in the hoops landscape as, as young people. And it was pretty incredible to watch Cabrini. Obviously, they had some really good players, um, you know, one of the top players in the country, maybe one of the top D3 players, you know, I've ever seen. But it's interesting to get into that topic with him and how he you know, got his shot with Cabrini. And people don't talk about getting your shot. We always talk about Division One and this. But he got a great opportunity with Cabrini and really made it, you know, worth everything as, you know, he catapulted them into some unprecedented success. And how he did that was super interesting as well. 
Yeah, and we should say too, like not a guy, Cabrini wasn't his first head coaching job. Uh, Pitt Greensburg, you know, Smalls, before the episode, I couldn't tell you where that was. There's 30,000 schools right around the Pittsburgh area that are all Pitt something, and I just have no idea where any of them are. But, you know, this is a guy that's been a Division three head coach for 17 years. He, he, he'd coached a bunch of places. He was at Shepard. He was at Albright. Um, he was at NAIA for a while. Like, and, and I think that talking to somebody about kind of like building programs and moving on and kind of leaving your legacy is interesting because, you know, like we've talked about on the show before, it's always like, okay, like what's your next job? But it's like, how are you building a foundation to make a place somewhere that you can stay if you want to for the rest of your life? And I think a guy like Marcus is a really interesting guy to talk to because like we said, success at two schools prior to his current job as a head coach. And I think this is an interesting kind of small college mindset that, that people kind of wonder like, okay, well, if I coach division three, like what's my career look like if I'm really good. And, and Marcus Khan is a guy who's had a ton of success at division three level. I mean, one of the best coaches, I mean, definitely at a certain point, small is like there was an argument that he was one of the best coaches in the Philly area, if not the best over a three year period of time. Yeah. No, I think, I think the mindset really with Marcus was, you know, be really good. I mean, we always talk about it too. It's like coaches will always coach speak you to death. It's like work in the present, just win today, you know, win with this team or this year and this program. And that's all I'm thinking about. He really took that to heart. And I think that really helped him become a really good small college basketball coach because you learn how to work with limited resources and changes and recruit and, uh, you know, really build relationships in specific areas rather than nationally, right? And that helped him super successful at Cabrini. When he got there, he was ready to go. He hadn't been an assistant and kind of waiting for a shot somewhere. He was at a head coach at a – Pitt Greensburg is not an easy place. <laughs> not an easy place to win games. I know a lot about Pitt Greensburg for reasons I won't get into, but it's, it is not an easy place. There's limited resources, but, you know, there's – there's a way to win everywhere. And I think he figured that out. And I think it ultimately helped him as a professional. And uh, there's a reason why he was so successful at Cabrini. And now he's very successful at Mary Washington as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, like we said, you know, a new challenge for him. And I, it's interesting just hearing kind of how his recruiting changed. Like while he was at Cabrini, mostly Philly guys, Jersey guys. And then now in, at Mary Washington, like he's got all Virginia guys. So I think like that's much of a change, but uh, a little bit of a shorter intro because like we said, Smalls needs to take a nap. I, I don't know. Are the Phils off tonight, Smalls? They're off tonight. They got the, cub- the Cubbies tomorrow. Uh, we got Cubs for three. We got the Padres. We got all sorts of stuff coming. Yeah, I heard that this might be it for Gabe Kapler. Like you might get fired today, but it doesn't sound like that's happened yet. So you can go to bed nine o'clock. Make sure you're nice and rested for Tuesday morning. But uh, if you like what you hear, as always, reach out to us. We are Create Your Shot on Twitter, at Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Leave us five stars. Boost us up those rankings if you don't like what you hear. Like I said last week, shoot us that five-star rating and review just because we're two nice guys. And uh, as always, thanks for everybody who listens and enjoy this week's interview with Marcus Kahn, the head coach of the Mary Washington Eagles.
All right, we are pleased to be joined by Marcus Kahn, currently the head coach at the University of Mary Washington in the Capital Athletic Conference. Marcus, it's Monday night. We appreciate you joining us. How are you today? Oh, doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So this is my favorite question to ask every coach when it's in the summer, especially Division Three coaches, but you're coming off an 18-9 and nine season. It's gonna, you're entering your sixth season. You've had a lot of time to reflect. You've now recruited for next year. How are you feeling about last season and then the expectations coming into this year? Yeah, to start with last season, I think I'm a little uh, – the record obviously was, was good, and it, I think we're trending in the right direction here. But I thought we had a team that, um, you know, NCAA tournament caliber team, and I think we proved that throughout the regular season, but came up short, you know, stubbed our toe a few times along the way. And uh, at the end of the day, we you know, we didn't win our conference tournament. and. Uh, three teams from our conference got in the tournament, which is great. With that, uh, two with that largest, and I think we were had to be one of the next two in line for for an at large. So, um, you know, uh, overall good record, yes, but uh, a little disappointing we didn't get into the tournament because I thought we had the guys to do it. Uh, you know, so moving forward, I think that's kind of the expectation again for this next year. I really like uh, our class coming in. Um, we return a really good group of guys. You know, some of our, our best players are returning while our leader, I think we're going to lack our, the question mark will be leadership. You know, we graduated, we're graduating three seniors, two have been captains for three years um, and really led the way for us and, and kept the locker room together and made sure guys were doing everything they needed to away from the floor. Um, so we're going to miss that. But talent wise, I really like the direction we're heading. And, um, you know, it could be a fun year. The, the good and the bad is we play a very challenging schedule. So if we take care of business on Wednesdays and Saturdays, it'll be a lot of fun this year. That's <laughs> it is really that simple, right? Like as long as you, if you win, like things, things are great. Uh, I guess my kind of my quick question with this is this is how are the first five years at Mary Washington compared to kind of the success that you had at Cabrini? It's obviously a different job with different challenges, but you've, you know, you've really had 19 wins two years ago, 18 wins last year. Like you said, you thought you were good enough for the NCAA tournament and, and this year sort of even trying to build more on that success, but how have you kind of grown and, and how have the first five years at each of your stops been and in Pitt, Pitt Greensburg before that? Yeah, I think uh, starting from the beginning in Pitt Greensburg, it was, that was my first head coaching job. So those, those first five years were just, everything was brand new to me and everything was, you know, getting done for the first time and, and then trying to redo and then tweak some things. And, um, Really had no expectations going into it there. Uh, then going on, going to Cabrini, I think we really got. I was very fortunate one to be hired to go to Cabrini, um, but also inheriting the group of guys that we inherited that first year. They were hungry to win. They were hungry to learn, and I think that was the biggest key was getting a group of guys that just they were open to anything. Um, and it wasn't like they were setting their ways and man, we're doing it this way. This is how we used to do it. There was none of that. They, they bought in from day one and, and, you know, we had some early success beating some really good teams that first year. Um, and I think from that, from that moment, we just kept rolling it. And then, you know, then you win a few, then people are going to even listen more to what you're saying and the culture will build more quickly, which obviously is going to lead to more people being interested in, in coming to your school. You know, coming to Mary Washington was a little different, um, but very, 
you know, what I was kind of looking for. I mean, it, it was a new challenge and we, we had, to, I had to get better. And I learned a lot in that first year, as bad of a season as it was. And uh, my assistant, uh, Mark Sansone and I, we, we laugh all the time, like, oh my God, that first year, we can look back on it and laugh now, but there were some times where it was just, it, it was, it was pretty bleak. And, uh, but we got through it and I, I think came out on the other end, you know, being me anyway, learning to pay a lot more attention to the detail, relearning and, and reteaching some things. Um, and I think it was really good for me. And I think that's why we're on the right trajectory now. So just, just a different, you know, if guys buy in, you're, you're, you're going to do, do great. If, you know, if you struggle with that, then you got some more work to do. Yeah. And you have such a good track record in terms of recruiting and we know, you know, wins and losses and building a culture, all of that's great, but recruiting is really the lifeblood of a program, especially at the division three level to remain consistent, really have to recruit at a high level. How did you establish, or I guess, what are your keys to recruiting uh, especially going from Pitt Greensburg those years to Cabrini and now at University of Mary Washington, what have you kind of learned throughout your experiences? Well, I think that it's just uh, getting out and, and telling your story, you know, what, what it is about your program and, and why guys are a good fit. I think that, um, you know, it's a, for me anyway, it's important just to be myself and be as, as honest as I can in the recruiting process and not sell guys on a dream that we can't deliver on. And I find that, um, you know, you make that connection and, 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 and then can deliver on the story you're selling them on in, in the process, more guys will buy in. And again, I think it just, you know, it's about ultimately like everything, I think, and regardless of your professions, it's the relationships you have and it's no different with recruits and their parents. And it's no different from the guys on your roster. If you have a good relationship with them, you know, I, I think that uh, you've got a better, better chance of one, getting them to come join your program and two, having success while they're there. Um, but certainly to hit on what you, how you started the question, uh, it is about the players. And I would love to say that, you know, the success at Cabrini, the success at uh, Pitt Greensburg that we did have for a while there and where we're heading now is genius coaching in the office. But <laughs> it, it all has to do with, uh, you know, the, really the work we do in the summer. And the evaluations as a staff that we um, that we make on guys, and really taking a year or two to kind of sift through some. I mean, that first recruiting class at, at each place was much larger than what they are in year five and six because we now have a much better idea of what we want, what we're looking for, um, so we can pinpoint more guys. Um, so, but but it, it is certainly the the lifeblood of our uh, of our program. And everybody's. And so, you know, being able to recruit is number one. Yeah. And I'm going to ask a super general question going back to your, how did you get into coaching and what made you want to coach and stick in this profession? Yeah. So uh, it was my junior year in college in Redlands out in California. And I really, I got into um, political science as my major. And I thought, oh, that, you know, that's kind of, go the law direction or what, whatever. And I uh, took a few of those classes and realized I probably should find a different uh, career path, but came home and uh, that summer and worked some camps and then just fell in love with the teaching part of it. Uh, fell in love with, with uh, teaching basketball. So I thought, you know what, I'll just go back. I'll be a history major, uh, I'll teach high school and coach. And then that became quickly became my goal. I was fortunate enough to have uh, our graduate assistant at Redlands at the time um, was 
back at home in Iowa and he just got his first head coaching job and asked me to, he knew I was interested in coaching and asked me to come be his assistant. And so it kind of started from there. Uh, went, moved to Iowa, spent a year in Des Moines. And then from there, went to Wesley College for two years, got my master's at, at, at Wesley in Dover, then bounced to uh, Albright, spent a year at Albright, from Albright to Shepherd, uh, with, with Ken Tyler, with Coach Tyler, who I was his assistant in both those places. And then the Pickerinsburg job came open. So it, it was, it, it all happened quickly, I think. It was move, move, move. And I, from, from day one, sitting down in, uh, at my desk in Iowa was you got to be ready to move, man. You've got to be willing. And as we talked as the year went on about what my next step would be and getting a graduate assistant job was that I couldn't, he, you know, coach Wagmaster kept telling me, you can't be picky. You find something, you got to do it. Um, if you're picky, you're, you're might as well go home. So, uh, he really helped me along with that and hence all the moves and willingness to bounce around and, uh, and to, to make it work. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that, that you can't be picky because you kind of had built your reputation over the last seven, eight years to the, to the point where you could be picky. Was it that a different feeling? Had you, while you were at Cabrini and you're having all the success, you're playing for the national title, I'm sure you had people reach out to you about jobs. Like what made Mary Washington the job that you wanted to go to? Or, or like, okay, it's okay for me to walk away from the school where I won 85% of my games and I'm winning the conference every year and we're making deep runs in the tournament. Like what made that the next job for you? Yeah, I think it, it was the timing of all of it. Um, I, if I was selfish about it, definitely would have stayed. Uh, um, you know, if I, if I was concerned about my personal coaching record and, and, and doing that, uh, we definitely had the team in line to make another run with Aaron Walton Moss returning, Vinny Walls. We, we had the nucleus to probably do it again. Uh, I, I thought personally I was really ready for something kind of getting the itch for a new challenge, if you will. I think that there's a different feeling. Um, uh, and it's, it's one of those careful what you wish for things. You look for a new challenge and you go from being disappointed at 27 and two, which we were in my last year there to eight wins, uh, eight and 19, my first year at Mary Washington. I'm like, wow, you know, I really wish I would have appreciated those wins a lot more and <laughs> uh, t- t- uh, maybe thought it through a little bit more, but it was a good move. Did you have to learn how to lose again? I know that sounds like such a stupid question, but like you really hadn't. I know like the, the, your last season at Cabrini ended with like a super sour taste in your mouth. The team was awesome. Like obviously one loss in the regular season and then you get upset in the NCAA tournament. But to kind of like build another culture, did you have to kind of yourself be like, all right, I, I have to take things slower than I'm used to over the last couple of years? Because you got to Cabrini and almost immediately had success. I think you won 22 games your first year at Cabrini. So it's not like it was that level of like building the program up to the point where it was respectable. So does that make sense? Like, did you have to kind of check yourself a little bit when you first got there or did you anticipate that being the case? Well, I, I knew that what we had at, at Cabrini was special and that, that wouldn't be replicated. Certainly not immediately. I looked at this move as big picture down the road, getting to that point it will be more sustainable. We have a lot, you know, we're, we're a much larger school here. It's more resources, uh, better, um, different network one for me to get into, but also in, uh, a different part of the region where we're competing against different schools. And I think uh, for me, I, I was looking and, and again, ready for that. And it, it was, it was more confidence that we're going to get this program to where Cabrini was, but it's going to be a process, much more of a process. And, uh, and we found that out and I think, yeah, of course, I mean, there was some, 
I, I want to say we started off oh and we didn't win in the first semester anyway my first year here and that was tough. there there was some <laughs> nights over christmas break um sitting on the couch with you know some cold ones and going what are we you know oh man this is this is going to be interesting um but uh but we got through it uh, we actually ended up you know going as the same made it as far that year in the conference tournament as we did this past year. We got to the semifinal game and made some upsets late. And um, so I, I think I kind of got rejuvenated with that and then could see the big picture. And again, I think maybe, maybe what I was, I don't know, naive about or just not ready for was I knew the competition here was going to be good, which again was a big attraction, but how good it is. And, and in our conference, I mean, we're, there's, three teams nationally ranked this year at one time and we were receiving votes. So it, it's, it's brutal. And then, you know, our non-conference games, we're playing the top tier of the ODAC. And uh, so we're really 18 wins on our schedule this year. That's 18 quality wins. Yeah, for sure. And you, you mentioned it being so important to get through those losses and kind of build off that and have the big picture in mind uh, with coming with that is division three basketball is having good support and good staff. How did you go about building your staff initially? Uh, and then having that right-hand man assistant uh, kind of see it through with the big picture. Yeah, it was. Um, so when I got here, I, one of the guys initially our one of our assistants would had been here previously, but he had been a high school coach in the area and he was helping out on a part-time basis and, I knew that was important for me because he would know all the high school coaches and he would help get me connected a lot more quickly. Uh, and then the other, the other coach who's still with me is our full-time guy. Mark Sansone is actually from Fredericksburg and he was at Eastern at the time, right across the street from Cabrini. Yep. Uh, so we get down here and I'm talking with Nate Stewart and he's recommended his assistant and uh, it worked out and it was uh, man, one of the best, recruits I got here was hiring him. I mean, he, he's been awesome. And I think there was some that, that first year, what was each other, you know, picking the other guy up. And, and I think he and I kind of bonded around that pretty quick. Um, we listen, we're in this together. And, and I promise you that you, you, know, you came here and I, I told you we'd get this program winning and you got to believe in me. And, you know, we, we were in it together and, and, uh, and it's, it's fun seeing it through like that. Um, and I think, similar to the guys that could bring him and leaving them. It was as hard leaving, uh, you know, Salim and Tim McDonald and, and, and Bill Wiley, who's, I mean, that's one of my favorite people in the world that, you know, even those guys, Rob Pendino and coming down here, that, that was hard. It was as hard as it was leaving, leaving the players. And so, you know, we're building those relationships here now, actually. Uh, Mike Harris has left our part-time. We have a new part-time guy who was with me my first two years at Cabrini, uh, Rick Bell. He, he, has moved down to the area. So it, it's really worked out. Our staff is, is uh, I really like the dynamic of it right now. And I think that the kids are feeding off our players are feeding off that too. Yeah. And you, you mentioned like uh, talking about constructing a staff, how do you as a head coach kind of improve your assistance from a professional standpoint as well? Are there suggestions? Do you put them in place? What's your philosophy on that from a head coaching standpoint? Because I know different coaches have different, it's like some coaches will be, you know, you just got to go out there, you got to recruit, give me a bunch of names, recruit, go to coaching clinics, things like that. Do you have specific things in place to help build your assistance professionally? 
Yes. I, I, well, I, I, we sit down and, and initially it's kind of going over, hey, here's, here's kind of how I like things to be done, especially that first year. But let them figure out the best way to get to that. I, I definitely think the only way um, I've, I've worked coming up, you know, under different guys, what worked for me? You know, I think I did best when it was, all right, here's your end goal. It needs to be done by this time. Make sure it's done and, and done to my satisfaction. And then give me the freedom to figure out how to do it. And so I, I've done that, which helps me build trust with them. They now know that I'm giving them a little, a little more uh, skin in the game. But I'm also learning to trust them because they're coming through. And so, uh, but I, definitely pushing them and, and um, you know, certainly with, with, with Mark now, pushing him a lot that, you know, make sure he's getting his name out there and put him out in front of our guys more, put him out um, in front of donors more, get more experiences. I know sometimes it's, it's uh, he thinks I'm giving him the, the shit job, if you will, but it's like, hey, go handle this. You've got to learn that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, listen, it's good for you at some point when you're head coach, you're going to have to deal with it. I've done it. It's a good opportunity for you to go do it. Um, and, and so I want to put him in situations and make him think of things uh, because he, he's going to be ready. I mean, he is ready, but, you know, there's going to come a time where he needs to step up, kind of like with Tim. You know, that last year with Tim especially, it was more, hey, man, you know how I like scattering reports. That's all on you, and that, that's all got to get done. Um, and then let him figure out how to do it. And, and uh, so, yeah, I think just letting them do it and letting them – you're going to fail, right? And you're going to fail – uh, as a head coach in that first year with a lot of things, um, you know, that I look back on and going, Oh my God, like I just, I did that and Holy, you know, but you, you figure it out. And the only way to do it, I think is to fail and then get back up and figure out the way to work through it. And, uh, so I want to put them in that situation as an assistant. Um, one of the things that's, that I do think is, is always kind of interesting to talk about is like, you only, I, I think if I'm reading this correctly, you were only an assistant for five years before you got the head coaching job at Pitt Greensburg. And we're talking about your assistant, Mark, has been with you now going into your sixth year. What did, what did you think, how did you know that you were ready? Or, or did you just feel like, I want to run my own program and see if I'm ready all the way back in, you know, 2001, 2002? Was that a, a moment for you where like, I'm going to take a shot, I think I can get this job and we'll, we'll see how it works? Or did you feel like, all right, I've done enough in the last, you know, five, six years at these different coaching stops. Like I know I can run my own program because I think that level of confidence is some guys have it and some guys have to find it, I think. Yeah. And I think that it was, you know, looking back on it, I don't know if it was too soon, but I certainly went through a time where, um, especially in that first day, whoa, okay. Yeah. I, I, maybe, maybe there was, maybe this was a little, probably could have used a little bit, uh, a few more years under my belt. But I also, again, and kind of going back to it, I think the best way to learn is get thrown in there and figure it out and, and sink or swim. And um, it definitely made me figure things out a lot more quickly. Uh, how, how have you changed as a head coach in, you know, not, not necessarily like from job to job, but just in, in 17 years of doing it? Like, what would you say is if you had to pinpoint or, or, or if your wife or somebody would pinpoint the biggest difference between you now as a coach, your wife, your players, you know, people around you, like, what would you say that is? Where, where is the one area you think you've grown the most? I think I'm a lot, a uh, lot, lot more laid back with, with all of it. Now, I think I've, I've, I've figured out what I think is the, I know the way that I kind of want to get things done and the, and the, 
you know, work smart, not always having to work hard. I think that first year I felt I had to be at every single event, watching every game, know every kid, um, you know, all, and, and do every scouting report and do every single little thing. And it was never good enough. And I think that what I've learned over this time is, hey, it's going to get done. We're going to get it done. We know how to do it and, and take a deep breath because um, it'll make me I felt that, you know, I was wearing myself out really early on, uh, probably when I honestly probably had more energy back 17 years ago than I do now. And I was wearing myself out quicker. What do you think is the key to that not burning out? Because I do think especially for guys like when you you were talking about it earlier, like you got to be ready to move. You're bouncing around. You finally get a job. Maybe you don't have a ton of success early. Like what kept you motivated, Marcus? Like what was what was inside you where you were like, all right, I got to figure this out. Like I can't fail because I think burnout is a real issue sometimes. It can be. It can be. I, th- I think it's the challenge of it. I think that um, for, for me, that was just it. Like, hey, I part of it is I feel, too, um, that I owe it to everybody else. I, I really felt, you know, end of year one here that I, I, I owed it, um, you know, to Ken. Ken Tyler was the AD who hired me here, and I'd been his assistant at Albright and at Shepard, and uh, that was my connection here. Um, you know, I, I felt, man, I felt bad. Like I, part of me felt like I let him down. Like maybe I was his assistant and didn't turn my scouting board in on time. Like I let him down a little bit. Um, but I, and I felt I owed it to, to, to my wife for, Hey, we're, we're going to move from Philly, which we both loved. Um, the Fredericksburg, there's a, there's a, I love Fredericksburg, but there's a difference between Philly and, and, and central Virginia. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, we were going to get this up and running. And then again, uh, you know, part of it was just my own pride that there's just no way I'm going to go out like this. Uh, I got to get this figured out. Um, and so I needed to, I think that's where I learned the most about myself was it was good for me. I mean, it wasn't good for me to go through that, but it was a good reminder of, you know, one, how good we had it, but also we're going to get back there. Just it's not going to be the same way. Got to find new ways of doing things. So, and that kept it fresh for me as well. Yeah, and Coach, you, you, during the course of this podcast, I mean, you're bringing up all these different names. You have so many relationships that you've built over the years. And I, I think we talk to a lot of young people on this podcast, too. Guys are kind of just getting their start, new head coaches and things like that. And sometimes relationships means, hey, I know a lot of AU coaches or high school coaches, and that's how I like to develop. But when we were at Temple, you had a pretty good relationship with Coach Dunphy. And it seems like you tried to reach out to current college coaches within the industry and have that tight group as well and really learn from them. Was that always kind of your thought process, even from the start, or did you learn to build those relationships and maintain that network, uh, you know, within the college ranks as you got older and more experienced? Yeah. All the, all the advice I've been given from anybody I talked to from the moment of trying to get into the business was you got to know people. I mean, no one's going to hire you. Uh, you can be 27 and two at Cabrini, but if they don't know you, they're not hiring. And so I, I knew that I had to really get out and, and network. Um, and, and early on, I was really doing a lot of that. Did a lot of it early on at Cabrini. And then, um, you know, I think part of it too, is you start really focusing more on your team. I think that I, I took a, a year or two at, at Cabrini and I had built up some good relationships there in the area. Um, but I stopped, I, I failed myself and I stopped growing those or finding new ones because I thought, man, I, if I focus all my energy on this team we have, 
uh, I one I owe it to them, and we're going to be good if I do that. And so I did. I kind of set some things aside, uh, that personal development for the better of the group, for, for the better of the team. Um, so, and, and now, now I'm getting back into that. And here it's building new relationships in, in Virginia and meeting new guys. And, and But yeah, I think getting out and knowing as many guys in the industry, uh, the better. And, and uh, you'll, you'll find that um, there's some really good, while they're good coaches, just really good people. I mean, you, you mentioned Coach Dunphy. He is, he might be my favorite that I've met in my 17 plus years of doing this, that, that just down to earth, you know, watching practice and talking to him. That's really where I, why I would like to go to, go to practices in the area there was meeting those guys and learning from them. I, I think that um, taking the time to do that, I, I benefited a ton from, from getting to know um, the coaches in that area and, and the D3 guys there too. And the D2 and as many, I think what was cool, one of the things I miss uh, was that small college luncheon that those coaches go to. Like that was, uh, that is such a unique group. Um, but going to those, it, it helped me um, not being a Philly guy. I mean, I'm coming from Pittsburgh. And so I didn't, and that's a tight knit group. Philly, Philly hoops is a special network of guys. Um, so kind of being an outsider helped me getting into that smaller network and then just kind of putting myself out there and asking to go watch practice and asking to grab a cup of coffee or whatever. Um, have you had to recruit differently in different cities? We, we kind of mentioned this before, but everybody on your roster now is from Virginia. And when you were at Cabrini, a bunch of, like you said, a bunch of Philly, Jersey kids, obviously Pittsburgh, Pitt, Ohio kind of group. Have you noticed a change in recruiting philosophy as you've gotten a little older and as you've gotten into different kind of like cities and pockets of basketball areas? I, I have. I think it's different. I think that um, it, it was it, it, the difference in it too. I think from my first from Pitt Greensburg that in Western PA is not nearly the basketball area that East, you know, that Philly is, that Eastern PA is. That is a definite difference. Anyone that you go to, I remember going to high school games out in Western PA and watching kids play and every one of them that was really good, they were going somewhere to play football. And so, yeah, that's, like, that's ah. Pittsburgh for you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, then you had two. So then there was a smaller pool of guys you're really recruiting out of. And then there was two conferences right there recruiting the same kids. And if they were pretty good, you have the whole PSAC in that area that's going to come recruit them too. So it, you had to be early often and you had to, I mean, it, it was, you really, it was really a process there. I, I thought, um, and in, in Philly, the talent pool is so large there in South Jersey. Um, there, it was just a matter of finding our niche, finding the guys that worked for us and at Cabrini. And, and, and what I found there was once we got a guy like Corey Lemons, other kids that knew Corey, wow, if Corey's at Cabrini, that's a cool place to go then. Then I need to at least go visit. And then we would get them, you know, and then we would we get a kid like a Jeremy Knowles who was from further away. So then we started that expanded our, our, our recruitment. Um, you know, then you get Aaron and we're, you're winning and now kids are looking at you from the transfer standpoint of, oh, shoot, I can transfer to Cabrini. Yeah, that's cool. I can do that. And so we're trying – we're figuring that out here. Um, what – our, our whole roster here is from Virginia because being a state school, it really hasn't made much sense for us to go too much further outside. I mean, that, those first couple of years, I, I spent a lot of time going back up to Philly trying to get kids. Um, at the end of the day, they loved it. They would come down and see all, all the, everything we have, our facility, our, our 
you know, our weight room, all, all the stuff we have. Um, but at our level, end of the day, financial aid packages come out, you know, an out of state kids financial aid is going to be right in line or little, you know, with, with the, the privates back up in that area. So it, it, it was, it became a tougher sell. Um, and so I just thought, you know what, the, what I kept hearing about here was, Mary Washington is the best kept secret. And we, I just thought, man, we got, we got to break that stigma. That, that's got to be something we blow up. I need everybody to know about it. Our gym, our facility we play in, Rosner Arena, can't be a secret. I mean, it, it, it would be, uh, right now you put it in Philly, be the third best arena in Philly in, in that area with those schools. Um, with everything that we have, we got to get people knowing what it is we have here and so we've really focused on different parts of virginia gotten down to the beach area um, to bring kids up and, and it's it's since we've done that expanded our, our our base here in virginia i think that's when we've really seen seen our program grow all right coach i have to ask you i mean we, we saw him play aaron walt moss and talk about dudes that was a dude like that guy could play in the city. I don't care what division he was in. What was it like? Uh, can you kind of give us the rundown of that recruitment and then what it was like coaching such a talent like Aaron? Small's burying the lead a second, but back-to-back D3 player of the year, uh, right out of the gate, hey, freshman of the year. If you don't like, know, wait <laughs> off the back. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Definitely, definitely fair, but I think it's interesting because you mentioned him and then you mentioned the transfer thing right after and he did not transfer. Like he just... <laughs> You, you get this kid from Camden and he's the best player in the country, legitimately maybe for four years. I mean, it, and I just think we, we got to kind of ask about it and how it happened. Yeah, it, it happened. Um, right place, right time. So there were, during the, uh, during the lockout, there were some guys from the area um, that were coming and working out during, during the NBA lockout. And there would be different guys in there just in our gym working out. So we were passing through and going, you know, meeting the guy, this guy that was, you know, renting the facility to work these kids out. Uh, and uh, he would say, man, you know, this one kid needs a home. <sighs> Which one? Like, there's no way. Like, that's great. Let me, let me go get some numbers of some scholarship guys and I'm going to figure out, you know. And in talking to him, um, it was just – it just kind of worked. And so – he said, no, you know, he wants to be closer. He doesn't really want to leave. And I thought, well, listen, apply. If you get accepted, I'll talk to you. And I, I honestly, my, my thing, I never thought Aaron would apply, but he did. And then he got accepted. And then it was like, oh, okay, well, here we are. Let's go. Listen, I'm, I, I, I need, you know, I needed about 10 minutes to know that we wanted him. Um, uh, but coaching him, the on the floor stuff was easy. And I, I think that a lot of people, you know, especially with his talent, would, would think they knew everything, would come in the gym and want to do their thing. And he was open to it. He wanted to be coached. Um, the biggest thing with him was getting him to, uh, to, to, to trust me, I think. I think that, he had, that, that that was the biggest thing, that once I proved to him that, hey, I wasn't just going to use you up. And, you know, let's be honest, he was there for the second semester his first year there and was ineligible first semester of the next year and when that summer when I said listen you're gonna you're not gonna be able to play but you take these classes and we're gonna get you eligible again out of his mouth was you're not kicking me out like I get to come back 
And I'm like, yeah, man, you, we're, we're going to work through this together. And I think from that moment on is when you really saw him just kind of take over and, and, and be the, the, the kid that he was at the time and the player that he, that he was. And I, I don't disagree that he was the best player for probably all four of his years. Um, the different, he could, he really grew his game, being able to shoot that his junior year, his first time getting player of the year is really when he developed his perimeter shooting. And, and I can remember playing some teams hey, here and they, everybody's used to sloughing off of him and just, you know, sit back and try to triple team him when he drove and he was stopping and hitting threes. And you could just see the frustration on everybody's face, how hard it was to guard him. But what, what was that like, that run to the Final Four, the run to the national title with that group of guys? And I think Small's right that you, you guys lost to Whitewater in the title game. But for you as a coach with that level of success, like, did you come into the season thinking like, hey, man, if everything goes right, we can win the national championship? Or were you just like, hey, we can win the national championship that year? Yeah, I, I think the year before for me was the surprise year, getting to the Sweet 16. I, I think that that was um, – that was the year where like, whoa, we can, we can do this. Holy cow. And I think we got to that point and walked into Wooster and we're kind of in awe of the whole thing and in shock. And, you know, we got to play at home. We won the first round, we won the second round game uh, in overtime, come from behind, went in overtime. And then we go to Wooster and I think we were just happy to be there. And then we returned every, just about everybody. Um, so the mindset then was, oh, we can do this, you know. We, we can really make some noise. That's a team that once we settled in, it was too late, but we settled in. And I think our guys just gaining that experience. Um, and at the time, Corey Lemons was our point guard. who was an All-American as well. Uh, and he kind of took the reins. was like, Coach, we're, we're going to the national championship this year. Like, we're going to do it. Uh, and then, you know, we start winning and winning and winning and we're whatever. And, oh, at the break. And then we add Aaron uh, into the mix. Um, and we'd actually lost the last game of a break at, a, uh, at Center College out in Kentucky at their tournament. Um, but uh, came back, and then we added Aaron and then started conference play and just rolled. And, and it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I think we all knew we were heading in that direction. Uh, but then you add that piece, and, you know, two weeks in, I, I remember that first game. I think he practiced with us for a week. And I thought, I'll give him a couple minutes here or there. And uh, I want to say he had, like, I, I can't remember exactly, but it, it was crazy, like 16 points in eight minutes. I mean, it was crazy. Every time he touched the ball, he was at the rim scoring. And, like, okay, this is, this is what we need. And so then it was like the next practice was the hard part was talking to that next guy, like, hey, <laughs> I love you, but uh, – yeah, we gotta we gotta take one for the team here. Like this is just gonna make us better. Yeah, you're. I, I'm not gonna pull you out of the starting lineup, but the uh, horn's gonna buzz a lot sooner than <laughs> <laughs> the first. The first media. That's what you got. Like we'll keep we'll keep it for continuity's sake. Um, last one for me. I, I know uh, Smalls mentioned this, but you said today your kids started school. You know, you've been a head coach a long time, starting family. You've talked about willingness to move and how you didn't want to let anyone down. But, you know, how do you stay kind of with it with your family? Like, how do you maintain your work-life balance, especially during the season? Yeah, now, at least, well, now my sons are old enough. They come with me to practice some days. You know, if we're doing the two-a-day thing, especially early on, Saturday, Sunday, if I don't have both of them, I definitely have one of them with me. Um, 
And so that's been a lot of fun for me. They love it. I mean, you want to talk about uh, so, some he, some heroes to kids. I mean, they look up to the, our guys on our team. And, and Aaron, and my, at the time, my older son was seven, I guess. Um, and he, he and Aaron were best friends. I mean, they were like boys. And, and so and they've carried that on here with, with our, our players here. Um, and, and to be honest, I mean, listen, it, it's uh, you got you got to have a, a wife who, who understands what it is you're doing and your passion for what you're doing and, uh, and and supports you. And I'm very fortunate to have that. You know, she and I made a deal really early on that, hey, listen, I'll, I'll never bring my work home with me. But that's going to mean there's going to be some late nights or some real early mornings for me to get up and get in the office. But when I'm home. I'm home and, and I'm not sitting on the couch watching film. Um, if we got family, we do a family movie night every Friday night, right? We get a pizza from somewhere in town, bring it in, and we all watch a movie together. What was the latest movie, Coach? <laughs> I mean, not to put you on the spot here. It, 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 it's uh, we we went to go see that new Lion King, and then we saw the uh, we went and saw the what did I take them? The the new Pets movie, that Secret Life of Pets. I have a young one, but we, we kind of got to keep it PG. And what I have found is now my older son and my wife are in these scary movies. So like they'll go down into the, the basement TV and watch it or something like that. And I'll be up top watching something, you know, something a little, uh, a little more cars or something. But Coach, I, I was really hoping you were going to be like, yeah, we just watched like the Christopher Newport game from 2017. <laughs> uh We'll break it down as a family and they'll all get pizza, but we're going to break it down. That's what I was really open for. But no, no, guys. I, uh, I, 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 so some nights I feel like I want to do that. But again, I, I also feel like I, I, I know that, that my time is uh, it, during the season, especially is limited here. And, and, you know, they're playing their games and they got their things to do. So. Uh, I just, I say, listen, you know, I, when I'm at work, I'm at work and I, I don't want to, not that I don't want to be bothered, but I'm going to be locked in. And, but when I'm home, I'm going to be locked in. And, and so. Do, do you ever on movie night, are you like, you just see the movie that's picked and you're just like, man, this is just going to be like an epic piece of trash, but like, you just have <laughs> to watch it. Cause Smalls, Smalls and I don't have kids, so we don't know this yet. We're still able to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood if we want to. So it's like, but is there ever a time when it's just like, we're going to watch, I, I don't even know Smalls. Like, Secret Life of Pets is probably good. I saw the first one. It was yeah, good. But they they got all the good, good movies. But it's just like you see the movie and you're just like, oh my gosh, this pizza better be delicious because this two and a half hour animated feature is going to be really yeah. bad. Yeah, uh, there there have been uh, there have I'm trying to think of what some of the worst ones were we've seen. They're not usually the animated ones, but they're the ones like with the talking dog or something where it's like, oh shit. I just <laughs> I, I, like start texting Mark like if he's at a high school game, how is that kid? Is he good? <laughs> you I guys just, are watching you guys are watching like Airbud twenty seven, like Airbud's <laughs> playing for the US women's national Air team. Airbud's got a pretty good jumper. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's two hours of it. I know I'm not going to sleep that night in. If it's a Friday and we play Saturday, I'm probably not sleeping anyway. So spend some time on the couch, uh, at least with the family having some pizza and popcorn. Uh, all right. We'll go into coach speak. Uh, just, we're just going to uh, do one. This is from Kirby smart. Uh, we're so excited again for college football to be back because you just get these gems all the time. But uh, Kirby smart was asked, where has he evolved the most as a head coach? And he said, delegating and not looking over the top of everybody. My coordinators are doing things right, and I know they're in control. Whereas before my antenna was up all the time, my question for you, and we talked about this a little bit before, but like, was there a moment for you when you realized like 
you could trust your assistants and your players where you were just like, man, I, I just, I know they can do it. Like, was it, and how long did that take? Yeah, it, it, I, I wasn't going to let it happen within the first year, year and a half. Um, but when it did, it kind of just happened naturally where um, some things we had talked about in the office and were put in and play in practice and Mark just kind of kept talking uh, where I maybe wanted him to introduce something small and he just kind of took it over and I just found myself sitting back and listening and uh, going, oh, wait, I think I'm, this is probably what I'm supposed to be doing, but uh, he's doing a good job and let him go with it. So uh, from, from the on the court, I think it just kind of happened naturally. Um, the, the, the recruiting piece of it, that was more of a, okay, we're going to, let's go get these guys. We started recruiting them. You know, Mark was, I could just see the guys he, he was identifying and watch him talk with the parents, you know, when they come to a game or a campus visit, just watch him interact with the parents and the recruit. Like, man, I don't need, he, he's, he's got it. So I'm good. And then just said, you know, then it was more of, okay, you now we're at the point where it's like, you tell me where I need to be on Friday night or, um, uh, you know, who, who, who do I need to call? We were talking about that today. Like he's going to put a list of guys, numbers together tonight of guys that I need to start talking to. So, um, yeah, it, it really happens naturally. It happened naturally each place I was. I think, I don't think I ever relinquished any of it during my time at Pitt Greensburg, but I think that's an area where I've grown, you know, I, I've cut, it's a, a long time ago. It seems like, um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it just kind of both places just kind of happen naturally. Uh, uh, for sure. I'm going to take it into our next segment, City Review. We mentioned Fredericksburg. We don't know where we're getting the pizza from. Maybe it's one of the top restaurants on this list, but we need three restaurants, two night spots, and an activity, Coach. All right. So uh, if you're getting pizza, you got to get it from Benny's. They got the, the, the Virginia Slice. I mean, it is a, a slice that is big as my five-year-old. It is huge, though. Getting, you know, we, we get a couple slices. You got to go to Benny's. Um, I'm a big fan of a, if you like pasta and stuff, there's a great restaurant in town. And we actually, uh, my wife has become friends with uh, the people that, that, that own it. It's called Orofino. Great spot. If you're into some pasta, nicer dinner. If you're date night, you got to go to Orofino. Okay. Uh, co- coach, what's your pasta dish that you go, what's your signature pasta dish? Are you going uh, with it? Uh, so funny. Cause every time we go somewhere, my wife says, if it's a place I've never been, She's like, you're going to get the bolognese because that's what you always get when you try a place. It's, it's, a, good, a, it's a good dish. That, that's it's a good, consistent dish. I'll tell you that much. And it tells you everything you need to know about the spot, I think. If the bolognese is not good, you're not going back. It doesn't, you're not even gonna, it's not worth trying anywhere else. Not worth going back for the uh, uh, you know, Parmesan. So we're good. We're, we're, uh, uh, and then a new, uh, let's see, what are night spots to go to? If you're, you know, you're having a cold one, you're maybe not maybe, on the couch, maybe. you've got somebody in town or, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah, doesn't even have, to, doesn't even have to be that, but. There's a new spot, actually, that we, we did just try a couple weekends ago, uh, Billiken's Smokehouse. It's uh, all the, you know, smoked meats and all that, but it's an outdoor patio area, really cool live music, hangout. Uh, my favorite spot, honestly, especially having kids, is my gazebo on my back porch. I like to come home on a Saturday after a game and sit outside in the gazebo and, and uh, unwind or in the summer evenings, um, hanging out here at home. And uh, if, if people want to have one with me, they can come over here. 
So oh. that's a, that's a great spot. <laughs> Is he the con gazebo? Does it have a particular name? I think we got to make a name. We got to make a sign. We're going to start elevating a little bit, Coach. Yeah, if you need to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Of- I, uh, that's good. I'll have to come up with one of those. No, it's okay. One activity. That's it. What, you know, what activity are we doing with you in town? We're in Fredericksburg. What do we got to do? We are probably going down somewhere on the river. I mean, down on the Rappahannock. A lot of people like to go down there. There's a lot of activities down, hanging out on the Rappahannock. Um, again, that's a cool strip for all the restaurants and, and, and bars and places to go hang out down there. All shop and hangs out, but there's some nice parks you can go down um, and, and hang out. So, if unless you, you know, listen to all the Civil War stuff, if you're into that history, you can you can definitely dive into that here. I'll, I'll I'll do the river. I was a my dad is a, a military historian. He actually lives in Northern Virginia, but we did growing up like all the stuff down there. Battle of Fredericksburg, like just every single kind of like Civil War place you could go to. And he would be really upset listening to this now if I couldn't name more than one battlefield. But we're just so we'll just cut it off. But there is a lot of if you really want to like burn it into your kids' minds, like hey, we're going to learn today instead of going out and hanging out on the river. That's a good place to be. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it, it, there's so, there's so much to do. And we found ourselves kind of trying to take advantage of the area, get up into DC a little bit more, uh, doing a lot of that. So ton to do though, ton to do. Uh, all right, we're going to 10 touches, uh, 30 second rapid fire. I get the first five. Uh, who's the funniest person you've ever worked with or coached? <laughs> uh, Greg Zabel played for us at Cabrini and, uh, uh, he wasn't always funny in the moment at the time, you know, coaching him, he, he, his timing wasn't always the best, but as I look back on some of it, or as I talk to those guys, when we start laughing and going, it always has to do with a great table story. Do you, do you think as a coach, you need one of those guys? Like, especially if you're going to be like a really good team, you need somebody in the locker room. That's like maybe one of the players that can keep it a little lighter or it doesn't even have to be a player. It could be an assistant or something like that manager. But like, do you think that's a necessity for a very good team? It is. It is because you, you can get so wrapped up in the winning and the tension and you get so tense in moments that you need that comic relief. And listen, you just, the timing of it again is important. <laughs> I, 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 what I found is I need it too, but it's not, not together as often as much, you know? Uh, what is your worst basketball travel experience? Oh gosh. Probably it could, it's probably going to, um, this is up there anyway, going to Wooster in that sweet 16 game. We, uh, traveled out through a snowstorm. We get there. It's snowing like crazy in a small, in Wooster, Ohio, a place we'd never been. Uh, we get the team to dinner. We get back to the hotel. We had, I had my family with me. We're in the room and my son gets really sick. And, uh, honestly, like we went into a little seizure and like, Oh, now what do we do? Like, I don't even know if, the, if Wooster has a hospital. So we're up till 4 a.m. in the ER in Wooster. They do. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, kind of navigating through that. That, that was a, personally a bad one. Uh, you know, you travel as much as you do at this level on by bus. You, all, you can come up with there, – there are some, there are some story. Some story. We, we got into a – hopefully I won't give the, the bus company or the uh, driver's name. But we got into a fender bender this year because we got stuck in traffic, and he was taking us – what, 54 passenger bus and trying to weave in and out of traffic until we finally got clipped. I'm like, dude, what? Of course you're like, uh, 
Oh, oh man. And then yeah. whoever booked, whoever booked the bus is like miserable. Cause like they're blaming themselves. So like, ah, I could have booked a different company or whatever, but it's just like, sometimes you just can't do anything about it. You know? What, uh, if, if you have time, I'm, a lot of times we talk to parents on here, they're always watching something with their kids or they're binge watching. But if you have time to watch something on TV, what, what's the most recent thing you've binge watched? Uh, well, let's see. I've, I've, I love watching, uh, do I just finished Ray Donovan? Ray Donovan and um, my favorite thing to binge watch, and I've done it multiple times. I usually do it each season uh, on the bus ride home. I think one of my favorite shows of all time is probably Eastbound and Down. I don't know if you guys know about that. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to be like Friday Night Lights or something like that, but you go Eastbound and Down. That's that's tremendous. Uh, that's my uh, that's my bus ride home. After we win, then I can watch that. If we don't win, I usually. Win miserable but uh, yeah, it looks bad if you're sitting in the front seat of the bus cracking up at kenny powers after you guys lose the game then the players are kind of like what's going on up there he's like an all-time character though that is <laughs> like, in the first season his him creating his like comeback dvd is the funniest thing of all time <laughs> it's I, like, I, love, I love the opening scene of season two he's got the uh the cornrows going he's fights <laughs> with the dude like that's <laughs> That's all. Oh man, I love it. I love it. So I, I love watching that during the season on the bus ride home because it helps me unwind a little bit. Absolutely. What uh, What would you be doing if you weren't coaching basketball? <sighs> Teaching. I probably would be a teacher. Probably. Hopefully. Hopefully. I guess maybe a high school teacher somewhere. What is uh? What if you could pick anywhere to host the Final Four that hasn't had it in the last couple of years? Where would you pick? San Diego. I don't know if they. No, that's good. Yeah. Like that, that. I'm totally in for San Diego. That's Not, Min- Minnesota was miserable. Like I, I know, like people like Minneapolis or whatever. It was cold. It was raining. I was like, all right, look, warm weather cities, please. No precipitation. That would be tremendous. It's got. It's got to be warm. I think my favorite place has been San Antonio. Uh, yeah, San Antonio. Uh, Orleans, for obvious reasons, is good. I think it would be kind of funny to, but it'd have to be a really quick weekend to do it in Vegas one time. So, <laughs> Hey, it would be gearing up. Yeah, I think it'll happen. Uh, I think it'll be a one time, and people will be like, "We can't do this. This will be." You got a lot of people there blowing off a lot of steam. I don't. I don't know that. A lot, a lot of bad press, possibly. <laughs> I, I thought New. I, I thought New Orleans was probably. I, I think. It, I don't know if it's going back there anytime soon, but I thought like New Orleans. They were like, "Eh, this is maybe not great either." It's back there in a couple of years. Oh, well. Let me book my ticket right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? Ah, uh, uh, that's that's probably the recruiting and the, and the calendars and the timeline of all of it. I mean, for, and for us, we, I don't deal with that as much. We might have much more freedom to go out in the summers and recruit, um, kind of pick and choose when we want to go. But I think there's so much restriction on that, that I think it, um, yeah, I think it hurt. I think it hurts recruits. Because they get jammed into this, you know, where they go on what weekend is when they get seen, as, as opposed to kind of spreading it out a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, I think we've we've heard that a couple times. What's your best moment as a coach? Uh, going to the Final Four. I think winning at the probably going to the national, winning that semifinal game. Uh, that was watching the guys rush the floor and celebrate. That that I mean, I don't know if it gets much better than that. Like obviously the feeling I personally had inside, but then watching them react the way they did, uh, what was awesome. That, that's a feeling I'll never, never, never forget. Nor will I probably ever forget the 24 hours later losing 
<laughs> that game and probably being at the low end of it. But uh, no, de- definitely that just that whole weekend and the vibe and you know winning we, that semifinal game. We've actually talked about that before, like the highs and the lows of it, and and it. it I think we talked about this with Kevin App actually from Williams, but when you go, or maybe Landry as well from Swarthmore, but like when you end up in the national championship of the final four and the emotions are so high about getting there, do you feel like you're harder on yourself and you don't necessarily let yourself really like appreciate the run? Like, do you think like, or did you need to take 24 to 48 hours and then you're like, okay, this actually was really special or is it just immediately you want to get better? Yeah, it's, it is for me, it was, uh, I mean, I joked about this with Mark the other two weeks ago, maybe in the office. Like, dude, I I was thinking about the national championship game and things I should have done. We could have won. I mean, it, it's one of those that it's it's hard. And, and I think that's something I have learned to get better at is appreciating, man, but we played in it. You know, we were there. and But you get so close. Um And, and you have the – we had the opportunity to win that game and, and didn't. Um and it's so hard to get there. And I think that that's what um, I've learned to appreciate even more is how hard it actually is and the road that you take to get there. I mean, you, you know, that to the following year, we get to the uh, elite eight the next year, we're, you know, 27 and one hosting the second round in our place. Uh, we made 17 threes the night before. And then that second game, we make three threes as a team. And it's like, boom, done, season over. And uh, so I think learning to just appreciate that is, you know, you, you got to learn to appreciate it when you're there. Yeah, and I think the the small college element of it too, people don't realize if they only view Division One or if they've only been in that, it's so hard because especially the Division Three level, you tend to go through cycles. It's harder to maintain consistent top-end success. There are a few programs that can do it. But at the small college level, so it's yeah, I, I can totally understand, you know, you still going back to that game and being like, because you only get probably get so many chances. Um, you know, hopefully in the future you get more, but it, it's really tough to get there. Uh division through traveling, like all that stuff. Yeah, and you're crazy. and you're aren't you playing aren't you playing back to back as well? Like you, yeah, you you're back to Saturday. Back. It's not, you're back to back. You you know it's you're it's not just, flying. You're not, not flying into the final four on Wednesday night, having media day, getting like the floor, get used to it, playing Saturday, then getting another day off, then playing late on Monday. Like it's it's different a bit. times. There's different stuff that goes into it. So I can totally understand where you're coming from there. Yeah, uh, and it's where where you're playing. Who do you play? Do you have a neutral game? Do you have to, are you on a true road game? Uh, you know the thing that we're hammering um, we were hammering to our guys at Cabrini those last couple years. We got to host. You got to get through that first weekend without travel. Uh, because even the year we went, so we got the, we had the first two games at home, and we I don't know if we beat Hobart in that second round game if that's at their place. I mean, we were fortunate to be at home, comfort our gym, we get that win. But then we go seven hours north up to Middlebury. You know, again driving through the snow, like what a crazy trip that was to come back to go seven hours south down to uh, Roanoke the following weekend, and so the tra- you, you throw that in there, and it's just. Uh, it wears on you. So it's, it's a tough, it's a tough road to go. And yeah, you're not flying charter jets. <laughs> well, it's unusual too. Uh, people don't realize like, you know, even when I was at Philly, you, you think, Oh yeah. Like Herb McGee, like we go up, we stay in, we don't, we don't, it's we'll travel one day. Like in one day we'll go play a game and we'll come back 
or we stay in a hotel a couple times a year. And then you go to the NCAA tournament, you got to stay in a hotel for three nights. Your guys aren't used to it. It's totally different. And uh, people don't realize that that's how important, you know, hosting is for sure. Yeah, it is. I think that if you look at the teams that get there, those are the guys that have hosted at least that first weekend, or if not both. Good so. point. Do you have a pregame routine? Uh, yeah, leave me alone. I think <laughs> if, it's a, uh, if it's a home game, I'll usually get out of the office and come home. Uh, that's when I'll do some of my binge watching, whether I'm on the bus. If I get on the bus, I usually just put my headphones on and, uh, you know, tell Mark to make sure we get there and the guys are on the bus and, um, that, that's my time just to kind of take a deep breath, you know, while I'm thinking about the game, just, I, I feel like I've done that the night before, where I, that's usually my time where I get the most nervous is the night before. Um, so leading up to it, you know, I, I usually like to come home, get a good meal and then just kind of hang out and, uh, you know, head back over. We play double headers with the women. So I'm usually getting to the gym about the start of the women's game for us. All right, last coach who texted you can't be your assistant. What did they say? <laughs> uh, last coach that texted me, Al Soretti. There, oh, there it is. He's, a, he's, a, he's a great your shot guy. Yeah, he's he, he's the man. He is the man. Uh, and we were doing a little back and forth, kind of an inside joke on some uh, funny enough camp trophy things. So I, I'll I'll dime myself out on this story. It was. Uh, uh, they came to our tournament here a couple years ago, and uh, they beat us on some shot, bank shot at the buzzer to go to overtime, and then they beat us in overtime here. So then, then the trophies don't get handed out. They're this kind of game over. Both teams just kind of go. We didn't hand out the trophies, so it's like, oh shit, we got to send the trophies to them. So they arrive there. We take them. Mark and I take it over the mail room. We send them in the mail, and I get their AD at the time, Joe was actually my, the guy that hired me at Cabrini. So I we're, got we're, uh, we're pretty familiar with Joe Gento, oh, just, in, yeah, just oh. in case. Shout out to a legend, honestly. He, he, that, he's, so if you include him, a coach, we were talking a lot of trash back and forth even this morning over text. But uh, um, So Joe sends me a picture of the, this trophy with the head broken off of it. Like, really, dude? You're that mad that you, we beat you in your tournament? And I was like, oh, my God. I don't know what happened. I didn't know what happened. So – Soretti had camp. He had a broken camp trophy. He took a picture of it. And like, you know, here you go. You use this one. Like, all right, no, he sent it in the mail. I go to the mail room, get this box, two busted camp trophies. He's like, here, use these for your tournament this year. So I, and I had a camp trophy break uh, the other day. So we were texting back and forth about that. I love it. All right. All right, coach. Last question. Two podcast guests we need to have on. Uh, well, I would say Soretti, but it sounds like maybe you've had him. We've had, yeah, we've had, we had Alan. Uh, I'll tell you one of my favorite people, and he's just getting into the business. And it sounds like you guys talked to a lot of guys like that. Uh, AJ Williams played; he was on that Final Four team at, at at Cabrini. He's just got the head coaching job at Salem Community College. He's from Delaware, Delaware guy. Um, he is an awesome dude, and he uh, just getting into the business. I think he'd have a really good story, kind of his route. To doing it you know he went down with kind of ga at wesley bounced around doing some part-time stuff and um you know he, he's taken his his chance and, and he, he's got his chance now his opportunity so i'm really happy for him that's uh, that's awesome do you have one more for us uh 
How about Nevada? You guys talked to Nevada Smith? We, we've, we had, we've, we've had Nevada. Nevada. That was good. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough when you come on. So uh, you know. How about uh, have you ever have you ever talked with I, you guys? Like good stories. I would think that Chris Harney would have some pretty good. Oh stories. man, yeah, Harney would that, be good. Harney that's would be a guy good. we got to have on. Harney would be good. We got we should reach out to Harney. He yeah. would be good. He might be like a ten episode guy. With the number of number of stories he has. Yeah, he <laughs> he would keep it interesting. Uh, all right, last segment. Same two questions to every guest. We call these parting shots. What uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, be yourself. Don't try to be anybody else. Don't coach like anybody else coaches. Just be you. Um, you know that, and control the controllables. I think those are the. Once I learned that stuff and really took that advice to heart, of you know, be be you. Don't be whatever other things you should whatever anyone else thinks you should be. I think that that was, that was important for me, especially you kind of mentioned earlier how quickly I became a head coach five years as an assistant. So I was trying to do it the way Wags did it in Iowa or take some things from Ken and our time at Albright and Shepard. And it just, it wasn't working out right until I just said, Hey, we're going to, this is how I want it to be and became comfortable with, with that. And then, then I think it was, uh, so. Yeah. That's good. Face to face with your 24 year old self. What are you telling that person? What in the world are you doing? <laughs> now, I think I would say, uh, going back to, to that time, you know, it, it, enjoy the ride. Like it's a long, it's a long journey. Take a deep breath and enjoy it. You know, uh, I, I wish I maybe had done that a little more during some of the, some of it. Uh, so I, I think just that, like, Hey, you know, don't be so quick to, get to the end game or worry about that. Enjoy, enjoy a little bit more of the process. Enjoy being an assistant and doing some of those, uh, you know, bottom of the totem pole pole jobs. Um, and because that is where you make your good stories, right? When you're an assistant, you got a, another assistant, uh, and, and you, you're sharing your stories at the final four, you know, as a head coach, you kind of got to, you go and you talk to guys and you, you go off to the side and have, you know, grab a beer with somebody. I just remember as an assistant, it was just, it was your chance to get away from the head coach and go tear it up for a couple of nights and, uh, you know, enjoy that a little bit more, even, you know, back, back at home. So. I mean, I think that's really good advice because it's, we joke about this a lot, but like you get old in this industry pretty, pretty quick. Like you, you think about it, you're like, oh, I've got a lot of time. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, holy shit, like where to go. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, Marcus, we appreciate you hopping on with us. He is at Coach underscore Con on Twitter. Give him a follow. And season's right around the corner already. It's it's already mid-August. Like, it feels like the summer is just kind of going so quick. It always does. But uh, thanks for your time. And uh, we're excited to follow you guys this year. No, I listen, I really appreciate you guys' time and, and coming on. Thanks,